Well, I know I'm not the only one who has experienced toxic clients. And uh, especially if you're in a service-based business uh, and you're working with people one-on-one or even in group settings, you want to make sure you're working with the right people. Now, if you're a product-based business or a church or a nonprofit, this probably applies a little bit less to you. But if you're doing any sort of service rendering for clients, uh, whether you be a photographer or a graphic designer or a videographer uh, or a coach or a consultant or anything like that. You want to make sure you're working with the right people. Again, your client is the backbone of your business. Without good clients, uh, your business is not going to thrive. In fact, it will die. You have to work with the right people. If you work with toxic clients, it's going to get you more and more burnt out. If you work with the right people, your dream clients, then again, your business is going to be able to grow. You're going to be able to scale at, at a much uh, more efficient and a much more effective rate. Uh, and you're just going to enjoy your life uh, that much more. And so in this episode of the Creative Equation Podcast, we're going to talk about how you can identify toxic clients uh, and how you can filter those out and how you can attract dream clients who you're working with people who you love to work with. All of that and more coming up on the Creative Equation Podcast. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome back to the Creative Equation Podcast. Uh, again, this episode of the show is all about how to repel toxic clients and to filter those out so you're not working with people who make you want to pull your hair out. And more importantly, how can you attract the right kinds of people? How can you attract dream clients, people that you love to work with, people who make uh, work not even feel like work? And before we do that, again, this episode of the show is more applicable to you uh, if you own a business that renders services. Uh, if you have a product-based business, or if you are a church, if you're a nonprofit, you can still, I'm sure, pull nuggets of this out. It just is going to be applied a little bit differently. Uh, instead of, you know, if you're a nonprofit, for instance, you might not call them clients, but how can you choose the right kinds of partners and not choose toxic partners? So anyways, translate this as you will to be applicable to uh, whatever industry or whatever uh, your business or organization is doing. But again, working with the right kinds of people, linking ours with the right kinds of people is huge. And too often we pick the wrong people to work with. And sometimes that happens out of desperation, right? You start a business and in the beginning stages, in the early years, you'll work with anybody because you got to pay rent. But what that leaves you and your business open to is frustration, headaches, uh, people that are not happy with your work. They want to sue you. <laughs> and so you want to make sure that you're picking people who you trust, people that you like to work with. And so again, we're going to talk about that, some different red flags you can look out for related to toxic clients, how to filter those out. Um, and how to attract dream clients. How do you get the right people that you want to work with that that fire you up, get you fired up and wired up about your business uh, or about your organization? How do you attract those people so that you can do business with people that you love to work with? Okay, so a few different red flags. Well, first of all, my name is Brandon Ritchie. Thanks for listening. Uh, really glad to uh, have the listeners that we do on the show. Again, just a little bit of a recap. We are here for you. This, this show is a resource uh, for you, whether you're a business owner, if you're the leader of a church, the leader of a nonprofit, or if you're just a creative who wants to, you know, sharpen your skills of logo design, web design, uh, sales and marketing, email marketing, SEO, that kind of thing. Um, regardless, glad you're listening. Thanks for listening to the show. Um, if you want to connect with me, you can do that at our website at brandonrichie.com. Lots of, you know, blog posts and free PDFs and that kind of stuff on there. Um, but again, thanks for listening to the Creative Equation podcast. Let's hop right into these toxic uh, traits or these traits of toxic clients. So again, these aren't in any sort of uh, particular order, certainly not chronologically, uh, but hopefully these are helpful as you're going to be implementing strategies to filter out toxic clients and attract dream clients. Okay, so number one, somebody who does not 
pay you or does not want to pay you what you're worth. And so, you know, they pay you, but they pay you begrudgingly, uh, or they don't pay you at all. And they just think, man, this guy's not worth this much money, or you're having like a presentation with them. You're going over the pricing, uh, and they just are questioning, like, why are you charging that much? Any person that is hesitant to give you the money that you're charging is likely a toxic client because it means they don't have the budget. They don't have the means, and they're going to always kind of be a little bit resentful that they paid you as much as they did. And again, this is true if you're doing services like photography or videography or graphic design, or if you're a coach or a consultant uh, or a masseuse, or if you're doing telehealth, any service-based business, if they're hesitant to pay you what you're worth, then it just means they're always going to have that outlook of you. They're always going to think, man, I paid this guy way too much money. Man, he overcharged me. There's resentment in the relationship. And so that is a toxic trait. Now, this is one that you can usually catch pretty quickly uh, before you actually do business with them. Sometimes you don't catch it right away, but you can catch it even before you send a contract or before you send an invoice. I always do, no matter what, uh, if I'm doing, especially if I'm doing a bigger website for somebody or doing a larger design project, I always start with a Zoom call because on the Zoom call, again, you're going over clear expectations. Here's the process. Here's our pricing. And you're looking for these kind of cues. If they're saying stuff like, man, can you cut me any slack? Like we're, we're, you know, we're a nonprofit. We have a pretty slim budget or man, I'm starting this business, but I'm kind of bootstrapping it. You know, it's a startup. Can you kind of give me some sort of discount? Those are our red flags or they should be red flags for you that this potentially isn't the right fit. Um, and honestly, in that instance, you need to kind of switch gears in your head because again, you're not desperate. You don't want to have a mindset of desperation because if you do that, you're going to take any client. And if you take any client, you're going to want to pull your hair out. And so you kind of have to mentally switch gears and think, okay, this probably isn't going to be the best thing for me because this is a toxic client. And it's probably not the best thing for this client either because they can't afford it. So then, you know, I would recommend sending them to somebody else uh, who can work with their budget a little bit better. And I do that. If somebody comes to me uh, for a website design, I have a Zoom call with them and they seem high maintenance. They seem like they have a low budget. uh, They seem like they are just, they just don't have the funds then instead of trying to, you know, uh, charge them what I normally charge and then then pay me begrudgingly, I usually say, you know what, it could just be that we're not the best fit. I have a colleague who also does web design. He does a great job. Here's his name. Here's his phone number. Here's his email address. And then what you're doing there is you're, you're actually being a guide and you're helping to guide them to solve their problem um, with something besides you. You might get a referral from that other person you sent them to. Um, and it's kind of painting you in a good light because you're still helping them get what they're looking for at a price that they can afford. So anyways, that's just something to keep in mind, but you don't want to work with people who are hesitant, hesitant to pay you because what it's going to mean is it's going to mean that they don't value, uh, or they don't think that you're worth the value that you're adding to them as your client. Okay. So that's number one, the second red flag you want to look out for anybody who doesn't follow your processes or your systems. This could be with communication. Uh, Hey, here is how we communicate. We always talk on the phone or we always email or we always do Zoom calls or we're always meeting in person. Or it could be somebody who doesn't follow your payment processes. So you send them a QuickBooks invoice and they pay you with PayPal or with Venmo, which is crazy, but that happens, especially if it's a family friend or if it is uh, somebody who knows you outside of a work dynamic and they, they know your PayPal or they know your Venmo. If you send them an invoice using QuickBooks and they pay you through PayPal, that's not okay. You know, it's, it's breaking your policy, it's breaking your procedure, your process, the way that you do things. So you want to look out for that. The other part of this is communication. So again, this happens more often with family friends or with people who uh, you've kind of known from church or from school or something like that. 
But if you're emailing them and that's the way that you like to communicate and you kind of make that clear, which let's back up a little bit. The third component of the creative equation is proper expectation. You're being very clear on expectations. Here's the process. Here's the pricing. And so if you're being clear with that up front and you're saying, hey, here's how we communicate. We do this through email. We do this through a Zoom call. And then they text you or they send you an Instagram DM or they send you a Facebook message then that's not following your process. And again, I know it's tricky because maybe somebody reached out to you on Instagram. That's how you got the client in the first place. And so they think that's a safe place to communicate with you. But again, you got to be clear. Here's how we like to communicate. But when somebody breaks that communication system, when you're clear with your expectations and they still communicate with you a different way, what it's kind of saying, the, the root cause of that is they don't value your process. They don't respect your process. And you want to work with somebody who respects you. They respect the way that you do business. They respect your process, your procedure. And so you want to look out for that. Anybody who doesn't follow your processes, whether that is communicating or uh, processing invoices, payment, that kind of thing. Okay. The third one, the third thing you want to look out for, this should be a big red flag. Anybody who is rude to you. And I know that sounds like a no brainer, but if you're on the phone with somebody and they keep cutting you off, they are hard to talk to they uh, are being mean to you or they're being rude or anything like that, that should be an obvious red flag. And honestly, I have been known to decline those kinds of clients. If I'm on the phone with somebody and they're just saying like, okay, uh, all right, uh, how long is this going to take? I got to get this done quick. Like uh, how, how much, like, is this going to take a long time to, to pull this off? If they're, if they're talking like that and they're acting like that, they're rushing you, it means that they don't respect the time that it takes to render your service. And yeah, again, it's just they're being rude, they're being short, they're, they're seeming high maintenance. So that's a red flag. And again, that's a pretty obvious one. And if, you're, if you have a mindset of desperation for clients, for your creative business, for your coaching business, for your consulting business, for your telehealth business, whatever service-based business you have, if you have a mindset of, I need to get whoever I can get because I got to pay the rent, then you're going to take them on and it's going to be a pain in the butt. They're going to constantly email you or text you. Hey, is this done yet? Hey, are you almost done? Hey, how long is this going to take? And you don't want that, or they're going to be mean to you or rude to you or short with you or something like that. So don't take on clients. If you can tell they're going to be rude, if you can tell they're, tell they're going to be high maintenance, if they're not going to value the time that it takes to render your service. Okay. Number four, the fourth red flag you've got to look out for when you are, uh, before you take on a client is any client who is impossible to please. Now, listen, this is one that you might not catch. Actually, you probably won't catch it first. It's still a trait of a toxic client, but usually you don't discover this trait until after you've already started working with them, but they're impossible to please. You've sent them five rounds of the logo, or you've sent them 10 edits of the photo, or you've sent them 20 edits of their video, and they're still not happy. And, or, you know, maybe it is something with a consulting or coaching thing, and they just keep not being satisfied, not being happy. You're not helping them. They keep complaining. So if they're impossible to plead, please, this is a toxic trait. Now hear me very clearly. I'm not saying that every client that asks for revisions is a toxic client, even if it takes 10 or 20 revisions. I've had clients uh, who have purchased logo design services from us that sometimes it just takes 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 rounds of revisions for them to finally figure out what they like, the style that they're into, but they're still great to work with. They're super easy. They're super grateful. We end up on great terms, not necessarily a toxic client if it takes revisions to please them. But if they never are pleased, if they're never satisfied, if they're always complaining, if they always uh, think that you're not doing the right thing, again, no matter what industry you're in, that is an example of a toxic client and a trait of a toxic client because they don't value your expertise. You're the expert. You've been doing coaching for 15 years. You've been doing web design for 20 years. You've been a photographer for 30 years and you're the expert 
and they don't value your expertise. They don't think that you can actually do this for them. Uh, they don't think that you're qualified. So if they're, if you catch any of that, any whiff of somebody who's impossible to please, it's just going to be a pain in the butt for you, not because of all the work that you're going to do. That's part of it, but also just because of the relationship dynamic between you and this client. You want to work with people who are friendly. You want to work with people who are easy to please. And maybe not easy to please. Work isn't always easy, but you want to be able to uh, work with people who at least you can get to a resolution with. And part of this is the feedback process, right? So let's say that you are in a creative business, whether you're editing photos or doing graphic design or videos, and you're sending revisions, and then all they respond back is, I hate it. I've had clients that do that. It is so frustrating when you spend hours and hours or even days on a logo or on a video or on a photo edit or whatever, and then you just hear back, you know, I hate it, or this isn't what I want. Well, what do you want? Let's be really clear with the feedback process here. Can you point out three or four specific things that you don't like about it? Anyways, you don't want to work with people who are impossible to please or who are incapable of giving really good feedback on your service. Okay, so those are some of the toxic traits that you got to look out for. You want to safeguard your business against these types of toxic clients. So just to switch gears here a little bit, we've talked about toxic clients. We've talked about some different traits, some different red flags that you can look out for. But what about the other side of this equation? What about attracting dream clients? How do you attract the right kinds of people? Because again, business is great when you're linking arms with the right kinds of people, when you're doing business with people who get you fired up and wired up, who make uh, your business thrive. Um, Honestly, it just makes you more optimistic. It makes you more happy as a business owner when you can work with people who appreciate you, they're grateful, um, and you're, you're being able to see positive change because they're communicating well with you. And so what do you do? How do you attract these kinds of dream clients? Well, the first thing you got to do, and I know this sounds uh, pretty self-explanatory, but you have to figure out who are they? Who is the dream client? The best way to do that is to look at your past clients. If you've been in business, if you haven't been in business, then just think who would be your ideal client. But if you've been in business for a while and you've had some different clients, Who are the good ones? If you are a graphic designer uh, and you've had some really great clients, are most of them churches? Are most of them in the healthcare industry? If you are a photographer, do you hate doing weddings, but you love working with uh, larger businesses to do promo shoots or to do commercials? Who's their dream client for you? If you're a coach or consultant, maybe there is a certain kind of person that uh, you enjoy working with more than another kind of person. But what you're doing here is you're basically creating an avatar. You're thinking, do I like working with men, women? Uh, Do I enjoy working with businesses, churches, nonprofits? Do I enjoy working with people who are lower class, middle class, higher class? What is their budget? What do they care about the most? What are their burdens? What's their financial situation? So you're putting all of that together. You're literally taking out a piece of paper and a pencil and you're thinking, okay, out of all the clients I've worked with, who are the ones that have just been amazing to work with? What do they have in common? Um, Or if you haven't started a business yet and you're just starting out, you don't have many clients then who is in your mind, who would be the ideal person? Is it somebody who is a high performer that you're doing coaching and consulting services for? Is it a church? You you, you want to work specifically with ministries, with churches, if you're doing photography or videography. So no matter what business your business is, create an avatar, think through who is the person, what do they care about? What are their burdens? What's their financial situation? So that's kind of step one. You got to figure out who is the dream client. You have to do that before you can attract them. And then once you know, this is the kind of person I'm looking for, How do you attract that kind of person? So just to kind of take a quick uh, change in directions here, just a little bit of a story. This is story time with Brandon. Uh, In the 90s, might've been the late 90s, uh, BMW bought Rolls-Royce. So it used to be owned by Volkswagen. BMW purchased the Rolls-Royce brand. And the first car 
that BMW put out under the Rolls-Royce name was a car called the Rolls-Royce Ghost. And it was developed super quickly. BMW pushed it out super fast. In fact, they pushed it out suspiciously quickly. And it was right around the same time they released another car that was called the BMW 7. So the the 7 Series and the Ghost uh, were two different cars, but they actually, if you were to crack open the hood, you would see the exact same engine. You would see that honestly, four out of five parts was exactly the same between the two different cars. But the Rolls-Royce Ghost was three times more expensive at a whopping $300,000. The BMW 7 Series was only $100,000. So it was the same car, same engine, pretty much the same parts. So what was the difference? It was perception of value because of the Rolls-Royce name. And so you need to do the same thing here. You need to create a perception of value. You might have exactly the same talents as somebody else that is doing the same thing that you're doing in your business. But what can you do to position yourself in such a way to, to where people think this is the better option? And so there's a lot of different ways we, we can do this. And that's what this next part of the show is all about is identifying what are the ways that you can increase your perception of value? What can you do practically to increase your perception of value to where you're attracting these ideal dream clients and you're keeping out the toxic clients? Okay, so the first thing is pricing. We talked a little bit about this earlier as we were referring to toxic clients but your pricing needs to be what you're worth. When you do this, when you increase your pricing, when you charge more, it's doing two things. It's weeding out the people who can't afford you. And again, those are usually toxic clients. And number two, what it's doing is it is increasing your perception of value. For instance, if you were to uh, look at guitars, I'm a big guitar guy. So you go to Guitar Center and you see a guitar that's listed for 500 bucks. You see right next to it, a guitar that looks nearly identical, but it's listed for a thousand bucks. Your mind is going to think, man, I, I really want this one. I want the thousand dollar one because it's worth more money. It's probably a better guitar. My budget's kind of tight. I don't know what to do. But in your mind, what you're thinking is this guitar is more money. So it's worth more or it's more valuable or it's higher quality, or maybe there's something wrong with the other one. And even if it's the exact same guitar, pricing can can have that effect in your brain mentally. And that's all a part of perception of value. And so you want to make sure that you're charging enough to where you're weeding out the toxic clients, but you're also charging higher prices because you want to attract higher quality customers. You want to attract the right kinds of people. Um, okay, so that's number one, pricing. Be be very thoughtful about how you're pricing. And kind of a side note, be thoughtful if you're charging hourly or by project. Everything I do is project-based whether it's print design, logo design, website design, whatever I charge per project. There's a lot of reasons I do that. We'll do another show about it, but be very thoughtful about what you're charging and what your uh, pricing policies are. Okay. Number two, the second way to increase your perception of value to attract dream clients is your messaging. This is huge. You got to have the right kind of messaging. You don't want your messaging to uh, be flat. You don't want it to be look to look like something that was just thrown together. You want to be very intentional. And part of the messaging here is keywords. So for instance, if you were a coach or a consultant and your messaging currently that's on your website and that's on your business cards says, I am a coach in central Florida, or I'm a life coach in central Florida, or I am the most highly rated life coach in central Florida. Any of those, any three of those kind of suck because it's not clear. It's not uh, messaging that is creating a perception of value and you're not really identifying what problem you're solving. And so my recommendation, if you wanted to attract high performing people for your coaching service, your tagline should say, I am a life coach in central Florida that works with high performers and high income earners to help them continue growing their brand to increase revenue and increase lead pipelines or something like that. But what you're doing there is you're being clear with who you are. You're being clear with what you do and you're being clear with the why. Why am I doing it? How is it making people's lives better? 
But part of that is you're saying words like high performers or high income earners, and you're using that vocabulary and those intentional keywords because you're targeting that kind of person. So be very clear with the kinds of uh, words you're using, the kinds of vocabulary you're using as you're creating your messaging, because all of your messaging that's on your website, that's on your business cards, that's on your flyers, all of it needs to be intentional. All of it needs to be thinking through how is this messaging going to attract the avatar that I created earlier? And how is it going to attract these dream clients and repel the toxic clients. Okay. The next thing, brand interactions. This can be social media. This can be email campaigns. This can be videos that people find on YouTube, but anytime that they interact with your brand in person online, you need to be thinking through how can I specifically uh, craft these brand interactions in such a way to where it increases my perception of value. One way to do that on social media is, or even on your website is posting reviews. So testimonials, reviews, whether that be Google reviews or video reviews, but basically reviews of people who are raving fans about your brand and they can't shut up about you. You're posting those because it's going to attract your dream client, or maybe it's a kind of messaging. I know we just talked about messaging, but on your website, on social media, what kinds of captions are you using? What kinds of words, what kinds of vocabulary, other brand interactions like email, when they receive an email from you, does your email just say, Hey, you should work with us. Or does it say, Hey, here's a free PDF resource. That's going to help you increase productivity. Or maybe you're a chiropractor. Here's a free PDF resource that gives you 10 stretches to, um, help your back feel the best that it's ever felt in years or something like that. But you're adding value and that's a brand interaction that is creating a perception of value. It's a, it's a value add. It's an increase, um, an increased view of your brand. You're positioning yourself as an expert through PDF resources, through podcasts, through blog posts. And all of that is going to attract dream clients and attract the kinds of people that you actually want to work with. Okay. The next thing I would recommend is setting up barriers to entry. So pricing, for instance, we've talked a good bit about that. That is a barrier to entry. Somebody can't pay a certain price point, and so they get filtered out. Another barrier to entry, I think I mentioned something about this earlier uh, in the show, but I do a Zoom call with every single website client before I even send the contract and invoice. I literally have had clients that say, okay, send the invoice, I'll pay it right now. But then I say the first step in the process is having a Zoom call, and instantly they're turned off. Instantly they don't want to do it, or they ghost me. And so that is another barrier to entry. And it, so it might sound like, oh, you lost a sale. Well, I only want to work with people who are dream clients. And dream clients, in my opinion, are people that will get on a Zoom call because it, it uh, humanizes you. They're not just working with a robot. They're not just emailing somebody that they don't know what they look like. They know what you look like. They know the sound of your voice. They're going to be kinder to you. They're going to respect your policies and procedures better. I always do either a Zoom call or an in-person meeting every single time. And that is a barrier to entry because the people who that turns off and the people who ghost you, after you say, okay, we got to have a phone call first, or we need to meet in person first, or we need to have a Zoom call first. The people who ghost you after that, those are toxic clients. You filtered them out. So that is another barrier to entry. Another barrier to entry that you could consider, and it doesn't work for every industry, but paying something upfront, getting people to have skin in the game. So for instance, let's say that you are a consultant or a coach. You might say, hey, before we actually do our coaching session, uh, we need to do a quick introductory exploratory call over Zoom. Uh, it's a hundred bucks and it's you know a non-refundable deposit. Even if we don't end up working together, uh, it's basically just a hundred dollars for the introductory Zoom call. So what you're doing there is you're uh, giving them the opportunity to put skin in the game. They're paying for something. Even before they experience your service, they're paying for something. They're getting skin in the game. And so that is another barrier to entry. Only people who are very interested, only people who want to work with you, only people who believe in you and believe in your expertise are going to pay that hundred bucks for that initial uh, non-refundable call. 
Okay, so we talked about some different red flags that you can watch out for as it pertains to toxic clients. We talked about how you can position your brand in such a way to where you are increasing uh, the perception of value. You're attracting uh, your avatar. You're attracting your dream client. You know exactly who your dream client is because you created an avatar. You created a, a list of things that they believe in, a list of things that are important to them, what their financial standing is, uh, even stuff like personality traits. And then we're setting up barriers to entry, whether that be pricing, doing a Zoom call, doing something that kind of gives them skin in the game. Those are all strategies that are designed to filter out toxic clients and attract your dream clients. Hey, I hope this was helpful. Just remember, if you're a business owner, you can be choosy. You can be picky. You don't have to work with anybody who calls you, anybody who fills out a form. Again, you don't want to have a mentality of desperation. Uh, if you do that, you'll take anybody. You'll take any client. And again, that can make you want to pull your hair out. That can make you uh, work with toxic people, which essentially is going to make your business toxic. You're, you're, the people you link arms with, your clients, it is the backbone of your service-based business. And so you want to make sure you're linking arms with the right people and not the wrong people. Hey, I hope this was helpful. If you want to connect with me again, you can visit our website at brandonrishi.com. You can uh, reach out on any of our social media platforms. Again, this show is, you know, it's built with you in mind. We love linking ours with uh, creatives. We love linking ours with business owners, uh, church leaders, nonprofit leaders, anybody who wants to, again, get more exposure for your brand. Uh, we want to give you resources to do that. Anybody who wants to increase the level and the quality of the experiences uh, that your audience is having with your brand, we want to help you with that. And then of course, we want to help you be really clear on expectations. We think that is just something that is the backbone of any business, any organization. You want to be clear with expectations, but you also want to surpass those expectations and go above and beyond. Because if you can do that, you can create a tribe of raving fans. Uh, hey, feel free to um, subscribe to the show here on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Uh, depending on which app you're listening to. This episode of the Creative Equation Podcast is in the books. Remember, you can't use up creativity. The more you use, the more you have. Stay creative, and we'll catch you next time.